Chapter Twenty of The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Lonely Lady of Grosvenor Square by Mrs. Henry de la Pasteur. Chapter Twenty. Le Marquis de Courset. Life must be reaped like the ripe ears of corn. One man is born, another dies. Euripides. A little boy, scarcely more than a baby, unmistakably a little French boy, in a white tunic tied just above his knees with a dull white sash, stood on the threshold of the morning room. But Jean, in her bewilderment, scarcely looked at him, or took in the significance of the announcement. She was overcome by the certainty, the instant conviction that thrilled through her whole being, that the tall figure behind the child in deepest mourning of crape draperies and flowing veil was Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie, to whom she had been writing all the afternoon. "'You did not attend us, mademoiselle,' said a sweet voice, in hesitating, careful English. "'But I did write. I wrote, to the lawyer, to Monsieur Valentine, that it was today we would arrive.' The wife and sister of Louise looked at each other each, woman-like, divining the impression she had made. She is not like her brother, thought the wife. She is older than Louis, thought Jean. Anne-Marie, with a hand on either shoulder of the little boy, waited, proudly it seemed, for she had a noble and majestic face and figure in the doorway. Won't you come in, faltered Jean, with beating heart. It was not the greeting that she had pictured to herself that afternoon, but the opportunity had come upon her so suddenly that she could not rise to it. Mahui, said Anne-Marie, with a winning gentleness and a dignity indescribable, if you welcome us, we will come in. Then, as Jean's face grew whiter and whiter, instead of expressing the kindness for which she had hoped, she clasped her hands together and cried in distress, Vous avez recu sa lettre? Yes, yes, I have his letter, said Jean. She made an agitated step forward, but she was faint and sick with long weeping, and she had scarcely touched solid food for days from sheer inability to swallow. She felt herself falling, knew a strong, soft arm about her, and heard a calm and authoritative voice issuing orders in broken English. Her unconsciousness was momentary. A piercing cry of, Maman, Maman, broke the spell, and Jean found herself on the sofa and perceived that Anne-Marie was beside her, with the little boy clinging to her skirt, and burying his face in her black draperies. Jean sat up, and put both hands confusedly to her head as one awakened from sleep. She looked at the fair, mournful face beside her. It was the face of the Chanonise, in the miniature, grown older, sadder, and graver. The marked eyebrows, expressive hazel eyes, and curved beautiful mouth were the same, and the raven hair was drawn from the same broad brow, but the Anne-Marie of the miniature simpered and ogled, and looked merry and arch and frivolous all at once. This Anne-Marie was serious and noble of expression. The shade on her face was too deep to have been cast by a recent sorrow, however severe. Patience and resignation looked forth from her serene, beautiful eyes. "'I demand your pardon, mademoiselle,' said Anne-Marie, "'to have come upon you too suddenly,' Her voice was sad and calm. But it was his directions that I followed. He said if anything happens, wait two days that she may have the letter, then write to Monsieur Valentine that he may warn her of your coming, 
then go to her taking our son and wait not i did write i marked private as he bade me upon the letter and so soon as i had these she touched her draperies i did come it was soon indeed terribly soon to leave my house and make the journey but what would you he had desired it and i could but follow his wishes and write to monsieur valentine to warn you as he had said i was not warned said jean faintly but i see how it was your letter was marked private so it was not opened but forwarded to mr valentine he is abroad and i did not know i did not know she cried piteously that louis had a son mr valentine knew said anne marie louis wrote to him of his marriage and of his son when the news of his fortune came but he was even then sailing for the somaliland which was he told me on his way home he had been silent so long he said he would wait yet a little while to tell you all himself that you might understand so he forbade also that mr valentine should speak the secret she looked anxiously at jean it was terrible for you to learn it thus said the sweet voice unsteadily i see it well but he said that his son would console you for all she lifted the child on to her knee and for the first time jean saw the little face the baby looked at her with great blue eyes fringed with black lashes and they were the eyes of louis he smiled roguishly though timidly and the smile was the smile of louis louis she breathed afraid to frighten him dis ton nom mon fil said anne marie dis le donc vite petite jeanne il s'appelle jean louis d'après sa tante et son père said anne marie softly c'est son père la que vous vous tu vas nous pardonner ne sais pas monsieur and she held out her hand with a gracious almost royal gesture to jeanne as who should say could woman grant you greater compliment than to let her only son be called by your name jeanne rose from the sofa not to fling herself into the arms of her sister-in-law as the wife of louis marvelling over the coldness of the english temperament perhaps expected but to put into the fair hand a freshly written letter oh read it please read it she cried wildly for though it is written in bad bad french it will tell you all all that i do not know how to say as anne marie read with wet eyes and the tenderest of smiles flitting across her beautiful mouth while she pressed the little round head of petite jeanne to her bosom jeanne felt as though the strain she had been enduring were suddenly relaxed a subtle sense of relief and consolation became apparent to her the motherly presence of anne marie the baby face of the little boy with the roguish smile and black eyelashes seemed to pervade that mournful empty room so that it was mournful and empty no longer the thought came to her that her oft-expressed wish had been however sorrowfully granted she was not alone but the member of a family the little family of mother and son the ever sacred relationship belonged to her because it belonged to louis oh come come to my room and rest after your long journey and let me bring you tea or whatever you would like cried jean kneeling to embrace the smiling child as tenderly as the most impassioned foreigner could have desired and let me tell them to get his nursery ready for petite jean and your room for you for it is louis's house that you are in and you have come home anne marie jean presently sought dunham with her explanation satisfying the old woman's curiosity as speedily and briefly as possible and without giving herself time to dwell on her own mortification she explained 
Yes, yes, it is my brother's wife, and his little boy, and Mr. Valentine knew all about it. But he, he wanted to bring them to me himself, so he would not write to tell me he had married in South Africa. But I have a letter telling me all, Mrs. Dunham. There is no mystery about any of it. We have only to think how to welcome her and make her feel she is at home in his house, she said breathlessly. And the little boy. I never had no doubts from the moment I set eyes on her, said Dunham, whose suspicions of the intruders had vanished almost instantly on beholding the amount of the baggage, the dignity of the lady, and the respectability of her suite. A man and a maid, besides the nurse, resplendent in cap, cloak, and long ribbons, carrying the little boy. The news of the arrival had flown over the house like wildfire, and the various members of the establishment were crowding and peeping on the stairs. Only Hewitt maintained his immovable composure, and stated his conviction of an imposture. To a fortune like this, Clemens is sure to turn up, said the great man, rendered suspicious by his knowledge of the world, and his extensive reading of the newspapers. Dunham's hurried interview with her young lady took place in the hall, and in whispers, lest she should be overheard by the strange servants who were waiting patiently in the background for further instructions. But Dunham had waited, it appeared, for no instructions, and acted in contempt of Hewitt's doubts on her own responsibility. "'I've told them to prepare my poor lady's room, Miss Jane. Me and Mrs. Pike, we felt it must be so. We couldn't ask her to climb the stairs to the room you got ready for the poor young gentleman. Indeed, it wouldn't be right, nor suitable.' She curtsied to Anne-Marie as she appeared in the doorway. "'Where are my servants?' said Anne-Marie, smiling at Dunham, but always with her sweet and gentle air of command. "'Alphonse!' "'Mi viola, Madame la Marquise,' said a plaintive voice, and a small, clean-shaven, black-haired, blue-chinned valet appeared and bowed to his mistress and to Jean. Anne-Marie placed her son in his arms as a matter of course, but Monsieur le Marquis was snatched from them jealously by his nounou, who started forward from her seat in the background. A violent altercation immediately arose between the two, in French too rapid for Jeanne's comprehension, but their mistress silenced them. Taisez-vous donc. Je vous en prie. Bien, Madame la Marquise. The maid is upstairs, madame, said Dunham, with subdued zeal, imitating the accents of the others as best she could, and dropping her old-fashioned curtsy in great agitation. No doubts nor hesitations, no reflections upon foreign titles, nor contempt of foreign nobility were here. Jean had been nobody in her brother's house, even her father's name was ignored, and she was only Miss Jean. But from the moment she set foot in it, Anne-Marie was indisputably and instantly the mistress of the house. She was Madame la Marquise, a great lady, taking homage as her due and issuing orders calmly as her undoubted right." The slighted dignity of the Asien noblesse was avenged in her person. It never occurred to her remotely that she could be anybody but the Marquis de Corset. She, the wife, alas, the widow, of the head of the family, of the young chieftain of her father's race, a race still honored, still remembered in its glorious traditions, in the country of the Boulogne, where Anne-Marie had been born and brought up, and where she held her own dignified and respected position, though she was not rich, and almost alone in the world. The property of Madame la Marquise, said Alphonse, who spoke a little English, being the son of a courier, and who added to it as speedily as possible that he might boast the more, has been in the family de Corset for thousands of years. So long as France itself has existed, have there been de Corsets de mon père à moi. It is my ancestor who still superintends the menage of Madame la Marquise, 
and my grandfather her son, who does the garden, and cares for the cows, for I too am of the Boulonnais, he said with great satisfaction. He was inordinately jealous, and permitted no one but himself to answer the electric bell, which now sounded with considerable frequency in the ears of the astonished household. It was extraordinary to perceive how much change and bustle and commotion the installation of one little boy created. Jean forgot entirely the sad and gloomy memories associated with poor Miss Marnie's bedroom when she entered presently to find housemaids hurrying in and out with mattresses to be aired, Alphonse unstrapping and setting up a little cot, and Mrs. Pike, shaking more than ever but determined to have her say, sending hither and thither for fresh curtains, and herself carrying to the washstand an armful of the finest towels her linen room could boast. Before the fire the baby's bath was laid upon a snowy blanket, edged with gay blue ribbon, and on his Nunu's lap sat Petite Jean, amused and interested at the commotion about him, with a little face bright as the May sunshine, turned upon them all, and blue eyes shining like stars in their setting of long black lashes. Yet the thought could not but return to her, Is this all, this little, laughing, unconscious creature, all that is to be left to us of Louis? Of Louis, with his tired strength and hard-won successes, his soldiering and his learning, his knowledge born of hard work in camp and field and study, and all the thousand experiences that go towards the making of a noble manhood. Is that all wiped out, and all to begin again, as it were, from the very beginning, in the person of his son? But in the cheerfulness of the room such reflections could obtain no mastery over the healthy, natural instinct of womanhood, of wonder and delight in a baby. In a moment Jeanne was on her knees before him, worshipping with the rest. Thou wilt remain with him here while he sleeps. Thou wilt not leave him for an instant, lest he wake in a strange place and have fear, Madeleine. So you tranquil, Madame la Marquise. Downstairs Hewitt, disgusted to nausea with the folly of the feminine portion of the household, maintained his strictly neutral attitude towards the invaders. We don't know who they are, nor what claims they have, he said sternly. Until something is proved, I, for one, sets my face against all this fuss and turning of the place upside down and so I shall tell Mr. Valentine, as soon as ever I sets eyes on him. What's a little boy? One would think no one had ever seen such a thing before, and all the women ready to eat him up. It makes me feel savage, walking in as though the whole place belongs to him. And so it will, surely, if he's the poor captain's son, ventured William. Who knows whether he's the captain's son, or anything about them, dropped from the clouds in a four-wheeler, said Hewitt gloomily but the Irish footman was carried away by the excitement around him, and secretly defied his chief, lending every assistance in his power to Alphonse, and conversing with him in broken English under the impression that he was thus picking up the French language with surprising ease and rapidity. Anne-Marie put aside all thoughts of her fatigue, and perhaps of her desire to be alone, and to think and to weep in her own chamber, and sat up talking with Jeanne half the night, when all the household had gone to bed, and when Petit Jean lay sleeping on his cot beside the fire. They talked in whispers, not to disturb his peaceful slumbers, and thus Jean learned that her sister-in-law had outraged the opinion of her neighbors, and even her own, by leaving her retirement in the first hours of her widowhood to obey her husband's behests and seek his sister. But he thought so little of Les Convenances, she said, was I to regard them above his wishes. She had a gift for terse and picturesque description, and presently Jean felt as though she realized the whole entourage of Anne-Marie's long girlhood, her home in the French village, 
her visits to Paris with her beloved father. For I was almost thirty years old when I married, she said with great simplicity and frankness. What would you? We received, naturally, many applications. Mais je n'ai jamais voulu quitter papa. Et fin, c'est lui qui m'a quitté. Her father had only lived for his motherless daughter, but he had the friendship of a lifetime for the gallant de vaubois Marieu, and, being likewise unable to conquer the fighting instincts of his race, had chosen to accompany him to South Africa. Papa had fifty years, but what would you? He was persuaded, in spite of all that one could say, that his experience would be the more valuable to the Boers, and his health was perfect. In a few words she set before Jeanne the difficulties and fatigues and disappointments of her own later journey, undertaken in defiance of all warnings and bestowed, and continued in the face of all rebuffs and refusals. She described, unfaltering, that first meeting with Louis, gaunt and haggard from enteric fever, and of that too Jeanne knew nothing. Their mutual attraction, her loyalty and affection aroused for the head of that ancient family, which she had believed herself to be the last mournful representative, their love and hasty wedding. That I should have been married thus, but again, what would you have, said Anne-Marie? In war there is no time for ceremony, and he was not one to be denied. Jean knew very well that Louis was not one to be denied, and that his influence was paramount over those who loved him. Of all these things Anne-Marie spoke, but of her sorrow not at all. She could no more have helped being silent over this than Jean could have helped babbling, tenderly and tearfully, of hers, and yet it would have been hard to say which of these two women loved Louis the best. End of chapter 20